Because this whole past season, we've been getting a lot of titles that have been based on, like, literary and mythical stories. And yet, this week, we get Perpetual Infinity, which just becomes a title because they made it up on the show and they said, that would make a good title. Let's go with that one. You know, you could have done anything. You could have done, like, some kind of mother and daughter proverb. You could have said something about families. But no, they just went with Perpetual Infinity, which kind of ruins our fun. Of it could have been the one with the control problem. <laughs> right. To make it a very Friends-like title, that would be the way to go. <laughs> well, as always, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin. We are the brothers who trek about, and coming to us from Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Peace and long life. There you go. We are talking this week about Perpetual Infinity, from uh, Star Trek Discovery, lots of stuff happening in this episode, and we will get right to it. But first, because we have the ability, let's talk a little bit about uh, that new Picard series that's coming up, because it's going to be exciting. I didn't know this, but apparently it's going to start shooting as soon as April 14th. So uh, that's cool. Going to get to it. Surprisingly, production is going to go five and a half months, and uh, is actually going to stop on October 1st. So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty long, hefty chunk of time for them to be uh, filming. Production reports currently have the series listed as Star Trek Destiny. Interesting, I guess. I don't know uh, what that says about where we're, about what the show's going to be about. We already know it's going to be very different. It's going to be a very different Picard. We know that, too, because uh, Sir Patrick didn't want to uh, tread over stuff that they had already done, so... How do you make a Picard series different? I don't know, but I'm excited to see. That is for sure. There was a uh, Kirk book I remember back in the day. It was about Kirk. It was like kind of like his growing up. It wasn't his autobiography because they had that too, which not surprisingly, William Shatner wrote, as if uh, that's surprising. But uh, the Kirk book was named uh, Best Destiny, which of course itself was taken from that Spock line in Wrath of Khan. Or, you okay over there? Uh, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> had something to deal with. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Uh, from that uh, Spock line in Wrath of Khan where he says that uh, Kirk being a captain was his first best destiny. So, makes you wonder where the show is going, but I'm excited. That's uh, for sure. So, uh, let's get right into this episode here, Perpetual Infinity. It's going to be fun. Two things worth pointing out right off the bat, uh, and I was right about both of these. Was the, uh, first the idea that uh, the moms and daughters uh, shared similar enough DNA that uh, Tilly could be confused by her finding on product, the Project Data List folder that she found. And, uh, Especially B, when you only have one set, right? Right, that's true. This is kind of a classic uh, you know, CSI problem, uh-huh. where in the first half we think that it's Bob, and then like someone discovers that, wait, Bob has a long-lost brother. 
Wait, <laughs> you know, we don't know what his DNA looks like, but it would be similar. And then you realize it's Bob's brother. Exactly, exactly. And the second thing I was right about was Burnham's mom was actually shot forward in time to see the devastation that uh, happened and came back to save the galaxy. Apparently over 800 times, too. That's amazing. So uh, something important we forgot to talk about in the last episode, and uh, I know this because I edited it, was uh, we forgot to talk about Leland getting poked in the eye. Yeah, that was disgusting. That was disgusting. But uh, also very important to uh, the future of uh, what was happening in this so episode. Saying, specifically. You're saying there's some kind of plot point. <laughs> yes. Very important, and we missed it. Uh, but yeah, so he's uh, been taken over by control. And right at the beginning of this episode, we see how much uh, control can actually manipulate and take over and control somebody, which is quite uh, scary. I guess that was some sort of uh, nanites or something that she was right. injecting into him. So we get this interesting problem. There are no nanites in the original series. Mm -hmm. Nanites is something that's kind of invented later on in Next Generation. Presumably right. because, you know, in the original, in the original series... You're still getting this scenario where, uh, you know, computers fill a room and everything is big, right? There's no sense of things got really small. There's no nanotechnology. Right. And it's something that was futuristic and cool and interesting by the time the 90s came around. So... Uh, Control says this of Leland. He says, uh, you work without guilt. You feel that the end justifies the means, which makes him the perfect uh, perf person for her to, uh, or Control, I don't know why I call that a her, but the perfect thing for it to put itself into uh, Leland. And uh, it seems Giorgio right off the bat is very like, uh, could almost see through it. You know, she says at one right. point, like, you are very resolute today. <laughs> He's not, there's no hemming and hawing like he usually did, so I thought that was really good. Lots to cover in this episode. We got uh, more Burnham family drama happening, and uh, we do get a lot of uh, awesome help from Spock, too, who's sort of, you know, been this uh, shoulder that Burnham's been able to cry on lately. I thought that's, uh, uh, those scenes, particularly the last couple of weeks, were really great, and uh, it doesn't stop in this episode. They're really doing a lot of fun stuff with uh, him. And then we also, have, so that's like that, I think that's kind of the main story. I don't know, you could almost even call that the B story and the other one the A story. The thing is that it's so intertwined with each other. And of course, you know, definitely at the end, the Leland storyline comes out to the big climax as, uh, you know, the, the Burnham Mother thing plays over the top of all of that. So it's uh, really cool the way they intertwined both the stories here, if you could even call them two separate stories. Time is almost its own character in this episode. I thought uh, there are depictions of time, and certainly, you know, at the beginning, uh, Mama Burnham says, uh, Gabrielle, says that the universe has its own way of telling time. Uh, that view, of course, apparently has changed over the last 20 years because she then calls, the, calls time savage. You know, she tells Pika, you're a ghost to me. You know, with the the death of trillions of others, basically, uh, you know, you, you don't exist in my wheelhouse anymore because I've seen everybody die. I've seen my daughter die a hundred times, she says. So, 
It's interesting, you know, but then we get that Spock Burnham scene at the end where, you know, Spock is even like time doesn't even necessarily exist. You know, what ha- what's happened in the past doesn't exist and what happens next has yet to be written. So we only have now, which is then when she brings him, you know, brings her to the the try chess board and says, the board is yours, Michael. What are we going to do? You know, so I thought yeah, that was so great. This time is fluid. Right. And Yoda says the same thing. Right. Yeah, basically you know, that, that the future is not. And of course, part of it is how do you write good drama if everything has to happen in this precise way that we've. Yeah. Or how do you continue a season? Right. <laughs> so this idea of like everyone being a ghost to me, I feel like I've heard it somewhere else before. It's it's in some other something any, somewhere that I know that I've heard. That's very clear. But uh, the idea that like, a you Christmas know. Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what I meant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that feels like that could be part of like, so, you know, if we go to Doctor Who, it's kind of the, the counterpoint between, you know, the doctor who sees everybody, you know, wants life to continue, wants everybody to live, wants to have a good time. Whereas you got the master who maybe had this idea of like everybody is a ghost to me because I travel in all sorts of time. I see everybody. They come and go. They live. They die. It doesn't matter. You know, what does it matter if I kill you now? You're going to die in 30 years or maybe you'll die in two minutes when you, you know, cross that cross that street or whatever. So. So you get the vampire problem, right? Well, what do you mean? The vampire lives forever. Everyone around them dies so that they become disconnected from the sense that, like, oh, you're my friend and let's go and do this thing. It's like, oh, you're all going to die. I'm going to live to see everyone here die. Which is sort of like... Kind of, oh, sorry. The, the NUE of, uh, you know, uh, something with a vampire, interview with a vampire. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, which is sort of, I mean, it's hard to see. It's like, is is Mama Burnham actually going through that? Or is that just a face she's putting on? Because definitely by the end of it, you know, she starts telling, uh, she starts telling Michael about the, the time she's seen her, about, you know, all the time she saved her life, about the, you know, she basically says what I've been holding on to is the hope that I will get to see you again. Even though earlier in the episode, she's like, I've lost all hope. It doesn't matter. And she's certainly, um, wouldn't you say, uh, uh, focused on on her thing, you know, here. she Burnham gives her a way out, and she's like, no, what if your plan with the suit doesn't work? It doesn't live in perpetual infinity, and then next thing you know, the, you know, control gets it back, and it all happens anyway. So it's interesting. She's got a lot going on. There's a lot of unbalance inside her. Well, it would be difficult if you saw the destruction of, like, the known universe right right to to not be like oh man i gotta do everything to prevent this yeah you know it's not it's not like you go and eh, you know it's just, it's just too much work preventing the known universe whatever <laughs> <laughs> right uh interesting thing she said she doesn't know anything about the signals so that's still a mystery that we've got hanging around there uh what could the signals possibly be, and why do they seem to intercept with what the Red Angel's doing? That's the interesting part. Well, see, of course, once you get into these time paradox situations, it's very possible that 
she hadn't that the the version of her that we were meeting hadn't done the signals yet. Yeah, she gets the suit back somehow in the time portal and whatever. But I thought it lost its crystal. But yeah, no, that's a that's definitely something that could happen. We do find a lot about why the Red Angel showed up when she did. Uh, one of the most interesting one was the idea in New Eden where she saved all those people on the planet and brought them, you know, she basically saves them from the destruction. And uh, that definitely gets inferred that she did that just to see if time could be rewritten, mm-hmm. you know. So that was a that was a really cool part of it as well. So I was reading this uh, book about time travel that had this really interesting idea in it. So we can kind of tell already that she must be able to travel in space as well as time. She's been to Vulcan. She's been to Earth. She's seen that they've all been destroyed. So apparently she has the ability to not only travel in time, but in in space as well. Well, there was an idea in this book, in this uh, time travel book I was reading, that had this really interesting idea of what would happen if you could only travel in time. We know that with the Earth not only in its rotation around the sun, but it's also spinning at the same time, and the universe is ever expanding, with all three of these things, that possibly if we were to go back in time, but not space, that we would only end that we would end up somewhere else that might right. not even be our solar system, because we went back two hundred years and with the expansion of everything and the movement of everything, that we're not even moving in space. I thought that that was a fascinating idea. Well, you have to imagine that you're on a planet that's revolving and evolving and revolving at <laughs> 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it's like orbiting that. at 19 miles a second, so it's wrecking the sun yeah. is the source of all our power. <laughs> you, you can see where I was going with that. Yes. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars. It's a hundred thousand light years side to side. It bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. Yeah, so everything's moving, right? Right. And so you'd have to be able to move. Otherwise, moving through time would be like being able to move through time. And I'm in Houston today, but I, I put on my suit and like, I may be at the same latitude, but... <laughs> right, yes, exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm just south of Cairo now. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> All right, let's Let alone that the planet's moving, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, right. I use my time machine. Ah, I'm in space! There's the Earth! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she was lucky that she could breathe in space in that suit. That was a lucky, lucky thing. So, yeah, we get a lot of Gabrielle uh, Mama... Mama Burnham pushing Michael away. You know, uh, the first time she wants to talk to Pike, she doesn't want to talk to Michael. The first time she sees Michael, she's kind of like, no, 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 I, no, I can't talk to you because 
you'll either take me off of my mission, you'll 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 break my focus, you'll talk me out of this, whatever her reasoning was. She was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't talk I to felt you. Felt there were echoes of Culper here. Yes, yeah, that too. I mean, even Culper himself is the one who you know comes to her and is like, she might not be the same person after going through all of this that you remember. And if anybody would know, he would know. Well, so uh, I also wonder this going into these final episodes. If we're going to – this is one of those like uh, – I've just been watching a lot of stuff. Obviously, we've gotten you know two years of Star Trek in uh, with not only Discovery but the original series. And Jamie and I have been watching Game of Thrones and trying to like guess what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, just a whole life of watching TV and whatnot. So there are just some things that when you like, I just, I don't feel like as a story, they would have done X. You know what I mean? And so it feels to me, this is again, just a gut instinct. And it feels to me that Mama Burnham's death, death into the wormhole felt final enough. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it really feels like we're going to see her again. Don't you feel like? Well, so part of what's one, we got a lot of people returning from the dead in Discovery. Fair. Two, Fair. there's all kinds of time paradox stuff. Yeah. Right? Just because we've seen the last of her and maybe she's dead doesn't mean that we can't be visited by her from, you know, a year ago or. So the River Phoenix uh, excuse or River Phoenix. <laughs> Oh my God, the uh, River Song from right. Doctor Who, right? Where they're dating e- each other like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's possible. It, but I, again, it just feels like because why else make it Burnham's mom? I feel like you know, I, I don't feel that there was enough of a of, of a finale in their relationship. I mean, I guess she got to say I love you at the end, which is which was, you know, like something she'd probably been wanting to say. But the weird part about if they were to meet again from an earlier Burnham's mom is that she hasn't met her yet in the. So, like, we'd have those weird. We had conversation. We had, you know, stuff like nope, meeting you for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. They'd have to start all over. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. Um, there was another story moment like that that just felt like, yeah, but why would they set that up if they didn't pay it off in some kind of way? Which I guess is part of my feeling about the whole idea of why Control is doing it. I feel like it's still something they've got to get to just because uh, I can't find it, but. Like I said, we get a lot of great Spock stuff in this one. Uh, oh, so yeah, so we learned that Spock is the only person that Gabrielle can talk to. Uh, his logic and his logic training and human emotions allow him to uh, the idea that she even exists. But his dyslexia, we find out, this is why it was important that he had it, was what allowed him to process the temporal dysplasia. So uh, that's interesting. Although apparently drove him crazy. But apparently drove him crazy. Or did it? We never really got that. I got about that. Spock also apologizes here, uh, apologizes to Michael here for saying that, uh, uh, you know, for saying that she couldn't handle her own emotions. Obviously, that's a very important thing over the last few weeks. Is Spock's been really like needling her about, uh, 
you know, not even being a proper human and certainly not being a Vulcan at all, where here he kind of, you know, comes back on that and says, that's not the case. <laughs> I also love the scene where they're coming up with the uh, idea to use the dark matter to get Gabrielle out of the out of the, the rubber banding effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they cut to Spock and Spock's just like, I like science. Yeah, that was good. And there was just something the way about the way he said it that almost makes you feel it was like, I like science! <laughs> you know, like, he was so excited to be able to be using it that it was like, I don't know, but, you know, of course, he plays it super calm because he's yeah. Fox, but it, but it just, it read that way of like, I like science so much. <laughs> it's the power of math, people. That's right, exactly. Thank you, Stamets. Clear oh, that was silly. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. But she got the dark matter in the in the ship. Yep. So I was thinking about this. We hear uh, Mama Burnham talking about the. You know, she's like, "I promise you, if we are ever going to have this reunion the way it's supposed to be, I have to make sure that that thing will be gone." But what we've learned already is that due to its partitioning due to the dead language in it, it means that it's actually never going to disappear, right? I mean, it certainly feels like it has its own survival instinct going on, which I guess leads us to the perpetual infinity. But uh, I think that's interesting. Like, just this, this, you know, it's like a computer file having its own, you know, determination being like, you can't crush me. You'll have to throw away the computer to get away from me. So this is fun. So we got, uh, uh, we got, of course, Leland here who's been doing all of this stuff. He manipulates Georgia. Well, he manipulates everybody, of course, in this episode because he's a computer, but, you know, into thinking that he's who he is. But we, you know, he manipulates Tyler into thinking that this is the right move. And then when Tyler's like, no, no, I can't steal this. I don't feel like it's right. He manipulates him by going, no, you're right. Obviously, this is good call. Good call. You just keep an eye on what's happening there. So then, then he manipulates Giorgio, you know, into taking the job. Luckily, of course, you know, she's smarter than, uh, than he is and is able to use her instincts to go, uh, something's just not right here and uh, figure it out. But, of course, Leland then shows up on the planet, you know, just as this great moment's happening between Mama Burnham and Michael, and uh, just starts taking everybody out. You know what I mean? And it's fun, except for our heroes, all the people we know who have names, right? This is like typical red shirt, you know, death thing. So, uh, you know, we got Nan in the background who's shooting at Leland. We got Michael shooting at Leland. Stamets, who's, you know, goes in to rescue Burnham. And so it's funny if you, like, think of this from, like, a, you know, role-playing game scenario where, you know, you've got all these, like, level two, level three security guards. And then you got, like, this level 20 computer who comes in with, like, super dexterity and, you know, all these bonuses to guns and and whatnot who just comes in there. And then we've got our guys who are, like, level 15 who are able to, like, dive out of the way and you know, make all their, like, important crit rolls to survive. But it's just funny seeing everybody go down. It's like, boom, ba doop ba doop ba ba Yeah, so this is the idea, and you see it a lot in in Star Wars, right? Uh-huh. That the main characters are, like, the Greek heroic characters, right? Nothing ever really happens to them. And then right. there's a bunch of spear carriers. Mm-hmm. Right, and the spear carriers can go down, you know, like nobody's business. 
because you know, it makes it makes it cool when Achilles is able to slay twenty men and <laughs> exactly move forward towards Hector, or you know what have you. But you know, Star Trek normally has the idea that the difference between Bob the red shirt, who's going to fall off a cliff, yeah. and Kirk is is only, you know, it's it's within proportions, right? It's not it's not crazy. It's not hero spear carrier odysseus i'm sorry what was your name you know (laughs) that kind of thing yeah exactly exactly so of course as i said georgeau figures out uh who leland must really be because uh all thanks to mama burdum who says uses the same line of dialogue as as control did of saying that she is at a you know an unacceptable uh i forgot the line now acceptable something in the in the universe but uh so then we get this fun scene that happens between Giorgio and tyler right where they're like some people in some of the reviews i i saw that they were flirting i'm like well on the one hand Giorgio kind of flirts with everybody but i don't know if i'd call this scene exactly flirting didn't seem that way to me but uh that was a fun little scene and he's like say please i all of that that was a really good time I also like during the Giorgio Leland fight how towards the end of it, Giorgio, like he started to learn her fighting style, right? So like at first she's like, like at least landed some punches and blah, blah, blah. And by the end of it, he's just like, dodge, get out of the way. You're not going to hit me. You missed. You didn't fire the weapon. You know, blah, blah. It was, that was really fun. One of the big questions I have was why she was tethered so far into the future it it seems like she would have been tethered back to the moment where the Klingons right. kill, you know, her husband and uh, and Burnham escapes. I kind uh, of get the sense that the the assault because you can see when she makes that first jump, she's being shot at. Yeah, right. That that the energy just charges her. You know, that screws up the. Well, that's the a good scenario, reason. I like so. that. Yeah. Instead of being tethered where she was, she gets tethered to some other place based on the additional energy that propels her. Mm-hmm. That is very, very possible. And then, then at the very end, we see uh, Mama Burnham go flying through the time corridor without the suit. And I think that the time suit might have been... I think that Leland got a shot in and destroyed the time crystal. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, a, there's a big beam that he shoots, and it goes through the through the thing and i think it destroys the crystal but i can't be sure of that but uh certainly uh not good for dr burnham to be floating around in the time corridor without the suit that's uh not going to be good for anybody well it's not gonna be good for her i guess for sure so i can't remember who wrote this but here's one of the interesting things i read said, uh, we're in the end game now for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, and according to the cast at Paley Fest last weekend, the ending to the season is going to be a game changer. So what does that mean? It'll be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting last three episodes, that is for sure. Uh, TOR.com had this to say about this episode. Oh, uh, so he's talking about the fight that uh, where Leland comes down and t- basically takes everybody off. Uh, so he's talking about the fight, and he says, The security force, 
one of whom dies, a fact that goes unmentioned and unmourned because, of course, red shirts. <laughs> Actual apparently don't grumble matter, he, he writes. As well, of some more, as well as some more glorious Michelle Yeoh hand-to-hand combat. Tretcore had this to say, While much of Perpetual Infinity was fast-paced, the episode still found some time to slow down and take a beat. Uh, he says, and I thought you would appreciate this part, there's a really nice, very Star Trek scene in which the crew discuss the ethics of deleting the archive of data that they've been downloading, uh, that they downloaded in the sphere of an Obol for Sharon. While it appears necessary for the mission, Saru argues for a different path, likening, likening the deletion of the sphere data to the burning of the Library of Alexandria. You know, there's like one of those moments you were talking about last week where we get like, a, you know, a Spock and McCoy talking about like the benefits and the and the uh, the downfalls of going through with whatever plan we are. Yep. Super Trek moment. He goes on to say, despite the galaxy spanning threat, Starfleet officers are taking a moment to pause and debate the merits of their path forward from a purely enlightened perspective. And that is always joyful. Star Trek is at its absolute best in these scenes. Ultimately, the sphere data prevents its own destruction, which is why the plan is hatched to send the data so far into the future. Uh, so this is another point that's been brought up a couple of different times. The Trek Core brought this one up as well. He says, if there's one thing that we're missing so far this season is a really good motivation for control. One of the reasons I'm so in love with David Mack's novelization, Section 31, Control, is that the artificial intelligence in that novel has a really clear motivation that guides its actions to protect the Federation at all costs. Discovery's control, on the other hand, has not really laid out its logic. Why does it want to control Starfleet, and why will it eventually destroy all sentient life in the galaxy? Because that can go thought? directly against its programming. Right, exactly, exactly. Part of my thought on this might be because it just, you know, it, it's like a Borg thing, right? It just finds humans inefficient. It, Not just uh, that. So let's, let's run with this Borg theme, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I thought when it was pretty clear that Arium had been taken over by Control, right? I thought, is she the first Borg? Interesting. Is she going to turn out to be the progenitor? And then, of course, she dies, right? Yeah. And um, they freeze her, and then they take her apart, and they erase her brain, and then they, you know, shoot her off in the torpedo tube. And so it pretty much looks like she's gone. And, you know, I mean, you could always bring her back, and you're like, whoa! <laughs> but then they introduce this idea of nanites taking over Leland. And nanites right. are how the Borgs, you know, infect you and turn you into a Borg. Yeah. And not only that... But at one point, um, Leland says, uh, struggle is pointless, which is basically resistance is futile. Yeah. Somebody in one of the reviews re referred to that as like a thesaurus, two thesaurus words away from resistance is futile. Yeah. So you, know, you can certainly see how Leland could end up being a progenitor of the Borg. Now... He doesn't have the the augmentations that Arium had, mm -hmm. right? So when Control had Arium, I thought this is totally plausible. Yeah, With Leland, it's more a question of well, he said, you know, resistance is futile with a, a thesaurus. 
and <laughs> and he he got it from nanites, right? Yeah. So it kind of weakens the case that he's the progenitor Borg, but maybe. Yeah. Well, that's obviously one one idea that had been kicking around for a while. All I wrote was BDM. So anyway, this comes from BDM. He says, I'm not opposed to Section 31 being responsible for the creation of the Borg. I'll step back and say that I think that that's, I think that just in general, that's kind of a neat idea, right? You got this like super secret, you never right. know what they're truly up to, you know, thing who accidentally creates something. Uh, he goes, though it is kind of a universe shrinking development that prequels pull so frequently, but it would certainly tell a strong story about the ethics of unchecked military development. Canonically, though, it also opens up a giant can of worms with regard to both the Borg's development in the Delta Quadrant and uh, what must be the mother of all Starfleet cover-ups. But I'm honestly kind of okay with that, too, if they pull it off right. It's just that the Borg are way too overexposed in the franchise already, and making them into the Federation's ultimate closet skeleton is an interesting concept. Yeah, so there was a Borgy kind of you know, is this in uh, Enterprise? And I, I can't remember the details, but there were some hints or some call forwards or some uh-huh. Chekhov's guns being left around. Or, but, uh, we'll have to wait until we get there. Which, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to see exactly. Ten years from now. With all the Star Trek coming out. Yeah. <laughs> he also writes this. Oh, it was... Uh, Birth, death, and movies. That's what BDM was. Uh, and he also writes this, which I thought is funny. Leland is possessed by a non-corporeal evil in this episode, unlike another famous, or alike, another famous TV Leland, which I thought was great. Nice that reference funny. to Twin Peaks. Yep. But that's also a common Star Trek theme, right? Yes. Is that the non-corporeal thing inhabits our heroes, and we have a original episode. Enterprise, uh, original series episode coming up in which uh, at least Kirk, I think more characters, I think Spock for a while is also occupied, but Spock is strong. Yeah. Uh, IGM, IGN, who uh, really liked this episode, they gave it an 8.2. Uh, had a lot of good things to say in the review, but the one thing that I, I wrote that stood out was, uh, where'd the Admiral go? Like, Gronwell was with them, like, just, like, a second ago, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, she just disappeared, she got sent back, she took her shuttlecraft home, I don't know what happened, but uh, we know that before, the only thing we do know is that before she left, she made Section 31 shipped uh, under the purview of Discovery, which is also another big <laughs> to Leland, I think, it's funny. Uh, so Katie Bird at Denna Geek, she asks this question of... At this uh, concerning the question of control and what, why they're doing what they're doing, I like what she wrote, though. She said, at this point, it's unclear as to why control is being such an a-hole. Like, what did humanity ever do to you? It created you. Hopefully, that will all be addressed in a few future episodes. For now, it's more of a stop the end of all life as we know it and we'll ask questions and sort it out later sort of situation. <laughs> So maybe it's maybe she's right. Maybe something will come along later that'll sort of answer the question as to what even got this all started in the first place. Oh well, you know, so you've got like the Hal problem, right? Okay. So in 
in 2001 A Space Odyssey, like part of what drives Hal to kill the crew is Hal figures out that they want to disconnect him. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, I mean, if you have a will to live, finding out that someone is plotting to unplug you is probably sufficient for you to think, I got to plot back. Well, that's true, but. You know, it did kill people first. <laughs> and that's true. And maybe the Admiral's objective was to unplug him in the first place, and that's why she killed... Why it killed Admiral Patar. It's possible. And we know that uh, Crimal was working on that, that had problems with control. And Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about Spock in this episode. Uh, again, I think that they've been treating him really well. They've been writing him very well. Uh Obviously, in the last episode, we got Burnham trying to take Spock to sit him down to work on his logic uh, by playing some tri-chess. So in this episode, we bring back the, we bring back the tri-chess board so that uh, uh, Spock can make his point to Burnham. Um, how does this feel to you as like uh, the pre-Spock going into the Spock that we know of the original series? Well, it doesn't feel like it's Spock. I mean, in, in the sense of feeling like Spock, I thought the Zachary Quito Spock was more Spock-like. Yeah. So, as we talked about when we watched the original series, it took them a while to figure Spock out. Mm-hmm. Right? And... I feel like what we are watching here has more to do with, let's say, the first five episodes of Star Trek, including The Cage, mm-hmm. before they kind of really grok Spock. Right. And so, in that sense, it makes... I mean, there is continuity, right? Because Spock in the first few episodes was different. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, how much of that is just you know, early episode weirdness. Mm-hmm, right. You know, like, for example, they're not going around talking about lithium circuits or, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So there, there's a certain selectivity mm-hmm. in what they're drawing on. But, yeah, Spock was different, and this does kind of feel like some of those early episode Spocks. Well, I think it's interesting... I mean, if we just look at it from the, you know, just the tri-chess thing of how much this, that, those moments feel like, you know, Spock and Kirk. And then I said this in the last episode that I feel like some of the advice that he's been giving seems very Kirk Spock sitting in a room trying to figure out the, you know, the good, the bad, the logic, the emotions of all those situations. So, uh, you know, it feels good to me. It doesn't feel perfect. I think I'm with you. I've been reading a lot about people saying that they actually like Peck's take on Spock. Um, It's fine. I don't love it. Uh, I do love what they've been doing with Spock. Um, But does it feel like, does it feel like Spock? I don't know if it feels like Spock, I guess. I also think, you know, it's less, the fact that we know that this is going to end soon mm-hmm. and that Pike and Spock 
are going to go back to the Enterprise, and yeah, we're not going to have to get used to a new Spock, right? Yeah. So this is a Spock that kind of feels like some early episode Spock, like a Spock who might laugh when he touches some vibrating, mm-hmm. you know, leaves. Yeah. You know, I, I it's not out of the uh, out of the po- you know out of the world of the possible. But uh, I, I do appreciate that we're not going to have to get used to a new Spock. Yeah. No, definitely true. I agree with that. <clears throat> oh, another thing we forgot to talk about was uh, when Mama Burnham arrives and is talking to Captain Pike. And she's like, uh, I could tell you more about your future, but you're not going to like it. Yeah, I was like, that wow, was cheap shot. Holy cow. That's awful. Although in one sense, you know, I, I mean, so like Kirk, who is the Pike of the future, yes, said, you know, said wonderful things about, you know, so you've got these cadets and the Delta radiation, but he just kept going back. It yeah. It's heroic. And that's, that's what you think Pike would do. And that does feel like our Pike. Yep. Yeah. So I'm sitting here and I'm uh, editing the podcast from last night and I realized that there's a, uh, a one very important scene that we didn't discuss. And hey, I'm here to talk about it because it just is, it's, it's one of those meaty, yummy, delicious, totally fun, awesome moments in the show that obviously we can't let go by. And I'm not gonna. So uh, we have this great scene between Giorgio and Mama Burnham, right? Mama Burnham, by the way, played by uh, Sonia Sun. She was uh, best known for her character on The Wire. Most people know her from there. She's had uh, a few other roles that people would definitely know her from. That's kind of where I know her from, so we'll go with that. So Michelle Yeoh, uh, as Giorgio, walks up, and they just, the two of them are like electric to watch. It was such a good scene. Plus, you've got, you know, Mama Burnham saying, uh, hey, do me a favor. I want you to take care of my daughter. I know that you can. And she's like, uh, I think you had me confused with another uh, Captain Georgiou. And uh, Burnham's mother's like, no, no, not at all. I know exactly who you are, and I know exactly what you're capable of, and I've seen you do it. I've seen you sacrifice yourself. And even Georgiou's like, me sacrifice myself? That doesn't sound like me at all. Except we apparently know that for uh, old Michael Burnham, she's willing to sacrifice herself, which is uh, a great little moment. We've been talking this season about how Giorgio definitely seems to have a little more motherly love in uh, in this season. And, not, and, and it's funny because even at the beginning of this episode, another thing I didn't mention was this, she's hovering around, you know, making sure that Burnham's okay. And almost instantly you feel like she's definitely looking at her from a motherly, um, protective look. So it was really great that we not only get that moment in this, we've seen her in the past uh, few episodes where she's done things to save Michael particularly, but then we also get this moment where Mama Burnham's like, please, you've got to protect her and... I know that you have, and I know that you will again. So really great moments uh, for these two, two mothers, even as uh, Burnham, Mama Burnham says, talking to each other. Just a really great scene. 
you know, we find out a lot about what's going on underneath Giorgio, something we've been suspecting and talking about all season long. But not only that, we get, you know, another look at Mama Burnham showing she really cares about Michael. Again, we discussed this earlier, but two interesting things I wanted to point out, and I did want to pass them up. They're on record now. Oh, well. Anyway, that's it. I got, that's all I got on notes. Anything else uh, we want to talk about this episode? No, I think that's it. All right. Rock on. Great. Well, that wraps up another fine episode of the Brothers Trek About. Uh, we only got three more episodes of this, and then we're going to be getting back to the original series, which will be fun to go to after uh, having witnessed all this good stuff. Uh, I don't even know what episode's going to be next, but I'll go back and check it out. Maybe I can... I'll let you all know next week what the what the next episode of the original series will be. <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, as always, uh, you can find us on the YouTubes. Find us on uh, Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, uh, The Brothers Trek About. We also have thebrotherstrekabout.com. We're on Stitcher Radio. We are on Google Play. And we are on Apple Podcasts. So you can find us in all those super cool places. Uh, well, anyway, my name's Matt, coming to you from Austin. And as always, say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go, and we will see you all next week. The universe itself keeps on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz. As fast as it can go, the speed of light, you know, 12 million miles a minute, and that's the fastest speed there is. So remember when you're feeling very small and insecure, how amazingly unlikely is your birth. And pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space Cause there's bugger all down here on Earth